most breweries deal with. You produce CO2 into the atmosphere during fermentation. And then on the other end, you have to buy CO2, like food grade CO2, to re-inject into your beer to give it that fizziness. Hi there, food enthusiasts. My name is Chris Rechkowski, your host today for the Future Foodcast, where we talk with thought leaders in today's food industry and discuss the trends and technology that are shaping the future of food. Very, very happy today to be speaking with Stephen Tyson and Bernardo Zamora, who are founders and, in order, the CEO, brewmaster CTO of Carbon Brewing in Toronto. Welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. You know, we'd like to get a little bit of introduction to uh, both of you. What were you both doing before you got Carbon Brewing started and, and kind of what led you up to that big jump into this space? And Bernardo, let's go ahead and start with you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, for me, I've been in the brewing industry for over 14 years now, always working within operations. I have a degree in chemical engineering and also a master's in brewing and beverage technology from the University of Munich. Before Carbon, I was working at Mill Street Brewery in Toronto as the brewing manager. So basically running brewing operations for the main facility at Mill Street. When I heard about Carbon, it was basically, I was looking for a change in direction into what I was doing. I wanted to have more active participation in a company. Kind of was a very good challenge. Tyson will kind of go more into depth into what we do. For me, it was the challenge of kind of bringing sustainability at the forefront in a brewing company at the beginning. This is what we started out with. And for me, it was as a, like a, all my studies the, from the side of the chemical engineering, the systems, its processes, and making more sustainable. And then as a brewmaster as well, being able to develop great beers through the systems and, and also putting sustainability first. Well, that, it's a great uh, span of experience that you bring with you into Carbon. And for those that don't know Mill Street, also a great brewery, um, it would seem thanks to you, Bernardo. But Stephen, let's hear a bit about your background and, and what you, brought you to be a founder of Carbon Brewing. Yeah, of course. And I want to give a shout out to Bernardo because he's definitely the brains behind uh, a lot of what we do here. Um, you know, so my background is mostly on the business side of things. So I worked in the hospitality industry for a long time. Obviously, this is a podcast about future food trends and things like that. And so I saw a lot of beverage space from multiple different angles. Um, I was both a bartender, a manager, or a dishwasher. You know, I worked my way up through the food industry at all aspects, event manager and stuff. And I ended up being a consultant for, you know, food and beverage companies and specifically small business owners who wanted to uh, improve their operations from P&L statements to ordering to supply chain and things like that. And so, you know, through that experience with my business partner, Eve, who works with us as well now, um, you know, we started to identify what the gaps were in the industry. Um, and I'd been kicking around in the sustainability space for quite a bit, just on a personal level. Um, it was something that I saw as an interest in my life and, and, you know, something that I wanted to explore more. And so basically 
we got an opportunity to work on a project. This was mid pandemic and obviously the food industry and hospitality industry, which was paying our bills at that time, um, kind of got devastated. And so we started uh, a project uh, on a hotel kind of in the Kingston, Ontario area. They wanted to focus on sustainability and put, you know, farm to table agriculture, build a community space um, that hadn't been in that community in a long time. It's a place called Wolf Island. And basically, you know, we got this opportunity to consult for these guys and they were working on this project. And it was kind of a, a eureka moment for us because we finally were able to apply what I'd been learning about sustainability um, and, you know, building a, a proper business, a value-based business, um, and kind of combine it with our passion and our hospitality background. On the island itself, there was actually a hop farm. So we were like, oh, that's interesting. You know, hops are great. We like beer. Um, and basically there was an abandoned brewery as well on the island. And so we started to, you know, kind of two and two together. I had been learning about sustainability. We'd been working on this project, this idea of a community space, this idea of what does the future of business look like, social impact, things like that. And what if we were to combine that with beer and brewing? And so that's kind of where we brought Bernardo in, because obviously we didn't know how to brew beer at the time. And, and we started to just build out what would carbon brewing look like, you know, if we put sustainability first. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of what our, what our whole thesis is here is, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunity for uh, improvement on efficiencies, on energy usage, on waste reduction, things like that in brewing. And so what if we were to just ask the question and put it first, how can we bring more sustainable? And that's kind of what we do here at Carbon Brewing. Amazing. I am a great student of the craft beer industry. <laughs> I try to study daily, but um, I, I think one of the great things about the craft brewing space is that, you know, the entrepreneurs, they're all generally committed to some aspect of sustainable business, sustainable environment, et cetera, because it just seems to be the ethos that goes with this space. But it's really interesting to hear, you know, especially for the purpose of this podcast, where we do focus on technology and sustainability in food space, that your entire business thesis is putting sustainability first in the brewing space. And that is how you're growing a very, very successful business. Maybe tell us a bit more about your business today. You've told us how you got started. Obviously, Carbon makes beer. What's your full scope of activities with Carbon Brewing? Yeah, I, th I think you raise a really good point. Uh, a lot of people in our industry are working on solutions, which is great to see. And to your point, this is an agricultural based business, right? This is, you know, thousands of years old, uh, you know, people using their crops and their agriculture to make beverages. And so, you know, there are a lot of what has to be considered when you brew beer is what is the impact on the environment? How does that involve, you know, agriculture? So, um, you know, sustainability is something that brewers generally care about. Uh, but I think to an extent of how do I, you know, reduce my local impact, but not actually scale that technology or those solutions up to, you know, make an impact on the broader industry or the broader world. And so that's kind of the aspect, the technology aspect that you're talking about where, you know, we said, okay, Bernardo, you know, you have this, you know, master's degree in brewing beverage technology. How can we make beer better? And how can we develop the technology that goes behind brewing beer and the inputs and outputs that go along the process? So if you look at like the entire scope, what goes into beer and how it gets delivered to your, you know, your door so that you can enjoy it and uh, be a student of craft beer, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of opportunities there as well. So you basically have to grow the product, the inputs with water and utilities and resources and stuff. And then you basically have to process this product into beer, which is the end solution. You then have to package it. You have refrigeration involved. You have transportation involved. And then you have the end of life cycle, which is recycling programs. And, you know, what do you do with the waste? Right. So, again, it's, it's a consumable product. And so 
again, from a technology perspective, can we do it better? And then can we scale this technology to the point where we can share it with other breweries or other industries or food and beverage producers mm. and kind of make it better and more efficient? So a lot of what Bernardo's um, you know, thesis and research has been on is what does a circular economy model look like from a technology perspective? Can we build that pilot brewery? Can we build that te technology ourselves? And then can we share it with the world? And how does that, you know, actually make an impact on sustainability and climate change? Again, it's uh, really encouraging to see this coming out as the real thesis of the business, the real business plan. As we, you know, talk further, I want to kind of explore the, the supply chain side a little bit and also the, the downstream side. And maybe we'll focus on the packaging. But I know that you're also making significant efforts internally in your processes, at the technology development and integration that is aimed at sustainability. And, and maybe that's uh, a topic, Bernardo, there's maybe there's one or two things that you would want to focus on. And what are the technologies that you're bringing to your business that are making it more sustainable? Yeah, basically, uh, when we started all this was having an in-depth look at the overall process, uh, looking at your ins and outs in terms of uh, your raw materials, your energy, uh, what type of energy do you use? What is your source for that energy and, and what can we do differently? I think the, the brewing process itself is a process that lends itself to a being more self-sustainable than any other because you have a byproduct that are, could be potentially used as sources for energy. Uh, you have your spent grains, you have your a surplus yeast from your uh, fermentation processes. You may have a uh, spent hops from dry hopping processes. All of these uh, byproducts from uh, production, depending on the size of the brewery, it could be if you're very small, usually as simple as going to a, a landfill or bigger breweries, what they do is they usually send them to farms as cattle feed, which is the, the better option, of course. But as we know, cattle produce methane, produce CO2, and it's not recapture or control mm -hmm. or reuse. It's just going up the atmosphere. And we know the, the, the effect that methane has on the in regards to climate change and how much more powerful it is than, than CO2 as a mm -hmm. greenhouse gas, right? We've been studying a, what can we do with that rather than just giving it away for farms. What can we do? Because there is energy. If, if cows can use it to produce, like to grow, feed themselves and grow, a, there's energy there. So we've been studying that and how to do it. There, there are ways. There are breweries, for example, that... They dry their, their spent grain and then they burn it. And with that, they're producing clean energy, clean heat or the hot side of brewing. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you need a lot of energy to get those uh, grains dried, right? We've been looking at other options. Uh, for example, anaerobic digestion of, of these byproducts, and which is something that's been growing uh, in like the agricultural uh, enterprises that they have been using more and more mm -hmm. uh, these types of systems to produce their own energy. So we're looking into that, then combining it with co-generation systems that can generate not only heat, but also electricity. Mm -hmm. And then you can also, it's almost like building like this big Lego set piece where 
there are technologies there that have existed for many years, but there are other technologies which are the ones that are commonly used and are the ones that are commonly right. offered to breweries, uh, like in terms of cooling and heat generation and, and that sort of thing. So that's what we've been focusing on is how do we turn this byproduct into a source of energy rather than just a waste for us. And then after we do that, how do we, that fuel that we're getting uh, byproducts, how do we process it into heat? How do we process it into electricity and then cold as well, which is the big utilities you need in brewing. Of course, you also need water, but uh, water you depending on on we where like right now we don't have a, an actual facility that's what we're working on uh, but depending where you are you might get your water from the city or you might get it from a well etc it sounds like yeah. you're doing a lot of things that your customers are going to be interested in and, and we maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that on how you're sort of educating your customers on how carbon brewing is actually doing quite a lot to add to sustainability, which these days has become an important buying decision for a lot of people. Uh, you know, one of the uh, obvious byproducts of uh, brewing beer also is CO2. And I, I'm curious, I think we talked maybe talked about this a little bit before, Stephen, but what uh, approaches do you have of sort of managing that potential resource where for most you know, for most situations, that's just a waste gas that goes relatively harmlessly up into the air, other than the greenhouse gas effects of that. But is that something that you're also addressing with carbon brewing? I think, sorry, go ahead, Bernardo. I was going to say, this is probably a Bernardo question in a lot of ways, just because it's more of a science question. What's been happening in the last, let's say, 20 to 30 years is that more and more uh, smaller craft breweries have been surging, right, in the U.S., in Canada, it's turning more like it already is in countries like Germany, that basically breweries are like bakeries, that you have your trustworthy brewery, your that, that you only walk like you walk by with your growler or whatever and, and get your beer uh, close by. But the let's say that the technology manufacturers, the classical ones are mostly focused like specifically for this type of technology in terms of recuperating the CO2 from fermentation and reusing it to re-inject because that's what happens with CO2 and that's a, something that most breweries deal with. You produce CO2 into the atmosphere during fermentation and then on the other end, you have to buy CO2, like food grade CO2, to re-inject into your beer to give it that fizziness. So it's this thing where, yeah, you're wasting a valuable resource and then purchasing it. Other companies that are basically extracting it from operations that are tied to, for example, like oil production and, and that. So it's like not necessarily a more sustainable so there are systems that, that can recover CO2 from your fermentation and, and clean it and get it ready to be reintroduced into your beer. Uh, but the classical equipment is very expensive and also not thought for breweries of a certain uh, volume uh, of production. They are thought for larger breweries, let's say here in Canada, like the Molsons, the Labats, but the smaller players uh, cannot afford uh, these types of systems. There is a, a company in Houston that, that started to 
uh, offer like uh, smaller systems, which is very good. And I think they're, they're spreading uh, over the US. And I think Calgary got the first one uh, as of recent. So yeah, there, there are ways you can recover. And now with all the technology that there is in terms of carbon capture, we've been looking into that actually, like not only recovering what we produce, but recovering what's in the environment and trying to re-inject it into our product, uh, with wood, which would allow us not only to do it for beers, but then looking at other types of products like seltzers, carbonated waters, and that sort of stuff that, mm. that would amplify our portfolio of products for sure, and but also draw CO2 from the atmosphere. So right. we're looking to those different technologies, basically. And these are a lot of great efforts that uh, is essentially being packaged into your product. And again, we'll definitely talk about the sort of the marketing opportunity there that I think you could get a lot of attraction on. But I, you also mentioned something that uh, I found interesting, all experiencing sort of this distributed, um, decentralized culture that's growing up around us, and that you're not doing this necessarily just to get your own company's advantage here. You're looking at how can you bring these technologies in, get them proven out, show that they're useful and effective and cost-effective and then share that information with other companies so that you're not only driving sustainability for carbon brewing, but you're supporting sustainability potentially in many other breweries that are sort of your industry partners, if you will, the coopetition. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll touch on that if that's okay. But um, yeah, I think that's a large port portion of what sustainability actually means, right? If we found the solutions and we applied it in our small you know, bubble or, or footprint, um, that doesn't actually create change in a lot of ways. And so we owe it to you know, the, the actual trend of sustainability or the actual you know, idea of this, um, how do we fight climate change? to find the solutions, as Bernardo was saying, from all over the world. And this becomes not a problem that just Ontario or just Canada or just you know, North America is facing. There's thousands of breweries around the world who are going to need solutions in order to transition to the green economy. And so what Bernardo was mentioning with the Lego pieces is, you know, there's a lot of modular technologies out there in places like Houston and places like India, places like Germany, that there's people who are finding individual solutions. So what if we just put all those solutions together and also showed at the same time that we could make a sustainable business to your point of like consumer marketing opportunities, things like that, you know, you can make money and you can also apply these solutions and bring together all this research that's happening, you know, mm -hmm. from the international community to basically solve what is not just an individual problem or just our business's problem. It's what is the industry need and find those solutions through innovation, R&D, things like that. So okay. yeah, it's really about making the change at, at scale and then sharing that with our competitors or consumers, but also you know, finding ways to make a sustainable business at the same time. And that, you know, again, great to hear. And you, you, part of your mission being to essentially help build and participate in the circular economy, if you will, um, and, and really taking your position as a, a full participant, not just your niche there, but how do you participate across that circular economy? Really great to see. Maybe we transition a little bit to the supply chain side and, and talk about what that means to carbon in terms of you know, carbon brewing, in terms of your sustainability commitments, essentially sourcing from a lot of farmers out there. People are interested in where where's their food coming from these days? Where, where are the ingredients coming from and what I consume? And how is that playing into your business and how are you managing that? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question to ask. Where are your ingredients coming from, right? You have 
this immense transparency in your food products at this point, where you go to a restaurant, you ask where this was grown or where this was made or who, you know, who the farmer is. And there's some sort of transparency in the supply chain there for the food products. But then you just go and you drink a Budweiser or a Molson or you drink, you know, one of these macro or, or even micro breweries that have shipped or imported ingredients from all over the world. And there's a carbon footprint associated with that as much as, you know, what economies are we supporting and where is our dollar going? So, you know, that is a core philosophy of ours is we want to educate the consumer to ask questions like that. Where was your beer grown? Right. What ingredients have gone into your beer? Where did those come from? What practices are in place for the supply chain from a social perspective, as well as an environmental perspective? And so, you know, one of the key concepts everyone says, buy local, buy local, buy local. But if that local producer is also using crazy international ingredients that, you know, maybe aren't from the right place or from the right part of supply chain, then that also doesn't necessarily have a great, you know, economic impact. So one of the things we did was go look at these farms that are trying to do things better or trying to do things better in our communities. As I mentioned, part of our story is connected to this place called Wolf Island, which is just outside of Kingston. And there's a local hop producer on the island, Wolf Island Hop Farm. And so basically we wanted to, we drove up to them one day and just said, hey, we're going to start a brewery like this. Do you guys want to be one of our producers? And they said, of course we do. You know, that's, that's what our business is about. But the scale that we need to get to with these local producers needs to increase. So, you know, again, it's all tied into this aspect of if we put sustainability first and climate change first, you know, what are the risks of our supply chain, right? What are the calculations of the emissions that have to go into this? And so all of these things factor into our decisions of where do we get the ingredients that we grow or that we put into our product? Because if you look at the way climate change is going, you see floods, you see, you know, droughts, you see, you know, storms and things like that, that largely affects the agricultural community and the supply chain or shipping lanes around the world, you know, with COVID and things like that. Where do we get our cans from? You know, what, what aluminum goes into that? How is that mined? You know, things like that. Everything in the supply chain has to be considered. And so when we say, okay, we want to support local producers and local growers, we have to go all the way back to where that exact input was was created or how that was created as well. And then we have a responsibility to build up the supply chain along the way, not only for our own personal security and our own, you know, de-risking our own supply chain, but also the transparency aspect and the economic aspect set. Yeah. So a couple of things on this I wanted to ask. First one being in trying to source locally, like you said, sometimes you may have a potential supplier and they might need to scale up to meet your demands or many companies' demands. But there's also uh, potential out there, I would say, with, let's say, using technology. Right now, it's or it can be difficult to source your hops from 20 different places. You Frankly, you'd prefer to source from one because that makes your administrative life easier. Also, maybe foresee a future where there could be 20 hop providers that could satisfy your needs, not only for local, but also variety, quality, et cetera. Um, but you're looking at technology systems that might make it easier to source from all these different organizations and bring that into yours. So you can support that local production without really being stuck trying to say, I, I need a really big supplier so that I don't have to deal with all the admin hassle. Yeah. And again, it, it's just diversifying where this supply comes from, right? Right now, we're not in a position to be able to make those kind of decisions, right? Most of the supplies that we need come from international communities, not from Ontario or from, you know, the local producers here. So probably Bernardo has a lot of input on the technology portions of it, but, you know, the agricultural technology has to get to the point where it can produce, you know, a certain amount of yield that we can use or, or tap into. So, you know, there's a lot of factors there of 
how do we build this local supply chain? Is it one producer? Is it five producers? Is it 20 producers? But right now, what they need is support, right? These, you know, nobody's going to approve funding for a business that doesn't have a proven profit model. So again, these farmers who want to grow, there might be a lot of them out there. They need the support from companies like us to encourage the business plan behind what they're trying to do. Yeah, um, I just wanted to open more on the topic and to say that, like, not only from the perspective of like just local for the sake of a local, nice challenge that, that we took on is also in terms of trying to stay somewhat like relevant with the trends in the craft beer industry. Uh, right now, to talk about a little bit about hops, the world market in, in hops right now for the craft beer industry is definitely the U.S. They are coming up with varieties pretty much every year, just getting nicer and nicer in terms of what you can do with those hops. But it's also an industry that is very protected uh, in the U.S., Whereas in Canada, the farmers are much more left to their own devices and to their own fate. A bigger challenge for them to kind of keep up uh, with what's going on. And they have to kind of stay with, the, let's say, the classical varieties of hops that have been there for a while. Because they cannot just risk in going with a certain new variety and then it not selling because they have no protection for, for that, like being protected by the government. So I've always described it as like in terms of varieties, what you can find in Canada, you're living in the 90s. So for us, it was a very nice challenge to try and replicate this we did with our IPA. Let's say a new style of beer that came up like within the last two years and do it only using Ontario hops mm. and trying to get those flavors with the varieties that we have available here. Very nice challenge that we take on. And, and of course, we have the ability to just go and knock on the door of a hop supplier or marketer from the U.S. and get any type of hops. But we're yeah. trying to build this model around local because we know if they have uh, like a steady demand, they can grow and they can be a bit more riskier into, mm -hmm. into what they produce. Then in terms of technology, a hop farming is a, a process that, well, existed for many, many years. And it's a very arduous process and very manual labor intensive. It's, it's very hard to kind of automate a lot of it uh, because of how the vines are grown, because how you have to take out the vines there is in terms of harvesting there is a, a lot of technology that's out there and and uh, it can also be developed into like less impactful uh, like in terms of fuel and what you use and uh, we'll see more of that in the future but more or less like, like the the hops are they there there's very little tampering that happens with the hop in particular when you get them from a farmer like the most that you get is drying and, and pelletizing in the most it's kind of challenging also what we're doing now is building like this portfolio within Ontario of of farms that, that we want to work with and and support because again if we get like you said 20 small mid-sized hop farmers we might get what we need and it's just developing the the beauty of our doing is that it's about developing these relationships 
Mm-hmm. We have a very good relationship with the uh, Wolf Island Hopyard. We have a great relationship with Clear Valley Farms in, in Collingwood, Ontario, which is our, our, our other supplier of hop. And we're developing a new relationships. We might not need their hops now, but we, as we grow, we'll definitely will. So it's like building that portfolio of people that, that you want to work with uh, and yeah. uh, have similar point of view as you. One um, aspect of this sort of supply chain side that we've also seen emerging is, if you will, online decentralized marketplaces, essentially, where it's easier for buyers, for example, yourselves, restaurants, whatever, to go out and on, in a digital marketplace and find products that they might not even know about, but from small, very small producers. And we see that happening across the food space, whether it's people cooking food at home and directly selling it online to agricultural suppliers who are you know, making their, for example, what might've been waste products before they're now being consumed by companies that go out and use these unattractive fruits or vegetables in products. So I, I could see the same thing happening here and you're already ahead of the curve on kind of making progress on that. I wonder if we maybe switch a little bit to kind of look at the downstream side of the business and being in contact with your customers and and what are they looking at? Because you're doing a tremendous amount of work essentially on their behalf. And how are you educating them about that? How are you allowing them to look back through your business and through your supply chain to understand the quality and the sustainability of the product that they're consuming when they're drinking a carbon beer? Yeah, I think think that's a great question. And it's something that I think is not solved yet in the beverage space specifically. You know, sustainability and climate change have been around for decades, right? People have known about this problem for a long time. Whether consumer trends have reflected that or not, we got to the point where a lot of companies were saying they're sustainable, but there's not a transparency there. And so they're being called out for greenwashing and things like that. And so, you know, how do we authentically educate our consumers on the fact that we're trying to do this properly, right? If we just slap a green sticker on and say, okay, we're sustainable, what does that mean? And how do you define what that means to the consumer in an approachable way where they understand that this product on the shelf is actually better than this product on the shelf or better for the environment or better for you? So, you know, a large portion of what we're doing is, you know, we're having to spend money on education, which is, you know, a challenge that a business like ours as a startup, you know, that's a large portion of our money, right? It has to go to marketing initiatives, but the right type of marketing initiatives, right? And so I think we're just at the point where consumer trends are are waking up to this. How do I be transparent to your point of like, where was my product grown before? So there is emerging technologies, as I'm sure a lot of people on this kind of show would, would know about, which is blockchain, like blockchain, the supply chain, or how do you, you know, make QR codes on your cans that if you scan as a consumer, it shows you the batch that was grown or where it was grown or, you know, a video about the the farmer that created it. And so, you know, that's the kind of tools that we're trying to use is what content can we give to the consumer? Can we make a video about our hop farmers or can we make a, Mm -hmm. a, you know, a video or a blockchain or some sort of, you know, transparency aspect to our business that actually shows we're being authentic, we're being true to what we're doing and here's how we're doing it. And then how do we show that and prove that consistently, consistently over time? And so it's, it's a large challenge, but once a consumer understands I think that they get it and that there's an immense loyalty behind if you unlock that, you know, transparency and you unlock the education pieces that need to go into this, you know, then you will get a consumer for life or you will start to shift consumer trends in in the right direction. But again, we're so far away from that. I think in the beverage space where, you know, you still go and you buy a Coca-Cola bottle or you buy a, you know, a plastic 
bottle for water, right? A lot of consumer trends, you just go pick up some bottles of water at the convenience store. And so, you know, what packaging trends can we do? How do we stand out on the shelf, you know, to say that we are doing this, you know, certifications, can we start to look into that people understand right away? Is it organic certified? Is it, you know, fair trade certified? Mm -hmm. Is it all these things that have been around for a long time? What is the correct way to educate the consumer on such a massive education piece? On the consumer facing side, of course, this has to be engaging, fun, attract people back again. And based on this type of discussion, it's not so much the the pure grab that consumer's attention, grab their information and how do we get to force them to buy this product, but more of you're literally looking to genuinely, authentically, and sort of in an entertaining way, communicate what you're doing. And it sounds like you're already starting to reach out and understand the, the technology mechanisms on which that's going to happen, where somebody may scan a QR code on your can that will bring verifiable credentials, if you will, of the history of your beer, interesting media interactions for people that actually make them want to um, buy it more and, and really be able to appreciate the work that's gone into that. So great to see that that's going on. I, I can see that also probably in the first half of next year, you're going to have progress on that maybe, and there'll be some more discussions we could have there. But before we kind of run out of time on this podcast, Stephen, about activities you've had recently, and I think this really highlights to our viewers that not only do we see all these activities happening at Carbon Brewing, but you're personally making efforts to go out there and participate in the global sustainability community. And maybe tell us a little bit about your uh, journey to Scotland about a month or two ago. Yeah, of course. And I think a large portion as an entrepreneur, you need to continue learning, right? We're talking about trends. We're talking about what does the future look like? That is what my job is. What is the future of this business? What does the future of carbon look like? And in order to do that and get the information that I need, you have to do the personal education. And part of that was I got the opportunity. I got invited uh, by a media company to go to COP26 in uh, Glasgow in November this year. So again, I got to interrupt you just for people that don't know COP26, conference of the parties, the biggest sustainability carbon management event in the world that attracts world leaders, business leaders, literally thousands and thousands of people to talk about this and make plans. So that's COP20 is, by the way, it's hard to get there also and hard to get in and hard to get attention. So you made it in. Tell us about your experience there. Yeah, exactly. So it's Conference of the Parties, United Nations. It's all the governments get together. Um, but not only that, there's also these sub-events or side events that are happening alongside almost like a you know a music festival or a, a party in, in a lot of ways. But you know, businesses need to be part of that conversation and they need to be you know in that room when the government is deciding you know how this is going to be done. At the same time as the people are there protesting, you know, there's a lot of protests in Scotland, and you know, so it's it's a combination of consumers and people, businesses and governments that have to kind of work together on this on this problem. So to your point, it's really hard to get in. You have to get invited, basically. Um, you have to have a media credential or you have to have, you know, an invite from a government as far as a consultancy role or something like that because it's not accessible to the, to the public. But this COP was very, very unique in the sense of there's a lot of attention coming off the back of COVID on the issues of climate change and, you know, how does that affect everybody in the world? The trends that I saw there were basically how are we working together as an international community to transition the economy to this new, the just transition to, you know, this new green economy. And that not only affects my business and my supply chain and the future of food and beverage, but it affects everything. So it affects energy usage, it affects transparency, supply chain, all of these things that we're talking about today, you know, everything that I was learning there was that I'm not the only one working on this problem. You know, we have a long way to go, but we're pretty optimistic in the sense of, you know, people are talking about these issues. 
behind closed doors. Maybe they are actively doing it in the public or protesting. But, you know, people are talking about this. The world is starting to wake up to this. And so a lot of what I took away from that experience, not only from a personal perspective, was how are we going to make this shift? to where we need to get to in the future. What does the next 10 or 20 years look like? You know, the measurable results or the steps that we can take, not only as a business leader, but as, you know, community and international uh, community. So it definitely was a really cool learning experience. And to your point, you know, I encourage people to be part of these discussions because, you know, not only is it still being formed on where we're going to go as a, as a society, but also, you know, how can that affect economies industries and people and consumers, right? So on my behalf, I'm there representing obviously carbon brewing, but, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm representing small business owners. I'm representing, you know, the consumers that buy my products and what do they want and what do they want to see? And so lots of education, lots of discussion, you know, new trends and things that you see emerging and what the future looks like. I think this is, and the reason I brought it up, it's an amazing representation of the commitment that you as founders and the carbon brewing has to sort of living what you say and building a sustainable business, um, literally carving out a fair amount of resources, time and money for the CEO to head out to a big, busy party business government affair to represent small businesses. So tremendous uh, kudos to you for doing that. And also, I think what we've learned in this podcast is your entire business, literally all the way from the beginning of supply chain of your raw materials all the way down to how you're interacting with your consumers, including your processes internally for making the product. All of that is incorporating your commitments to sustainability and bringing technologies, whether you're having to invent them yourself or bringing in other companies, but then really making that part of the circular economy that you envision and want to participate in, being willing to share that information with others. So an amazing start to finish business growing still um, in your early days. And congratulations on all that. It's been really a pleasure to have you on this program. Yeah, appreciate that. And that's basically the summary of our entire business model. So uh, thanks for kind of, you know, putting it all together and realizing that by just asking one simple question, you know, can we put sustainability first? It opened up all of those other opportunities. It opened up all those other questions. And I know we haven't really talked too much about the beer, but our beer is pretty good too. So, you know, like the other aspect is you still have to deliver a quality product. You still have to generate revenue. You still have to be a business in a lot of ways, but how can you do that with putting sustainability first? And I think let's, let's come back to that next podcast. We focus more internally sort of on the, the back end of your process where it goes beer to customer and, and how is that really working for carbon? Because the product's great. I've uh, managed to have a taste of it also and really enjoyed that as a craft brewer, you're somewhat regional, so it's hard for somebody in Europe or Asia to kind of get your hands on that. But certainly the influences of what you're doing are being felt in these places as you're using technologies and sharing ideas around the world. So really, I think the community owes you a, a gratitude for that. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. And we're going to have you back to talk about more details. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you, Bernardo. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 